0: Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, Shika Advani has joined us to share her eating disorder story. Shika is an incoming master's student and dietetic intern at Boston University who is passionate about eating disorders awareness, diversity, equity inclusion, body liberation, and social justice. After battling anorexia and orthorexia through her teen years, she wants to use her recovery as a way to help others heal their relationships with food and their body. So it's exciting for us to be talking with her today because that's what we wanna do. It's clear to us that she's already doing that and will continue to do that in her future. And we think you'll agree as you hear more from her. Welcome, Shika. thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, and thank you for that amazing intro. Oh. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, we're
0: thrilled to have you, and we're excited to hear more about your passion for eating disorders awareness and social justice, and, but we know it's, it's rooted in your personal experience, at least in part, so let's, let's start there. Take us back a bit. Give us a general sense of your relationship
1: with food and your body earlier on in your life and the, the factors
0: that impacted that.
1: Yeah, so growing up, I honestly just remember loving food and having a pretty good relationship with food. There were always, you know, comments about because I did grow up in a larger body. There were comments about food being quote unquote good or food being quote unquote bad. So I kind of learned that dichotomy of good bad foods growing up, but it never really stopped me from having any food. It was just more comments of, oh, maybe you shouldn't eat that, but I still would. And then there was a certain point where I realized that maybe I should change the way I was eating. And that was around my eighth grade year. So growing up in a larger body, I was constantly being teased for being in a larger body. And there were constant comments about my body from family members, friends, just people around. So I definitely grew up being cognizant of the fact that I was in a larger body and that it may, according to society, is not a good thing.
0: We know that is an all too common and really unfortunate experience that that so many people have that's really rooted in our misperceptions around food and our ideas that are informed by popular culture, informed by ideas that get spread around everywhere. How did other people respond to your eating shifting and anything changing with your, your, your body or your appearance? How did people around you respond to that?
1: It was very positive. It was from doctors. It was, oh, look, you've lost so much weight. Congratulations from family members. Congratulations. Uh, the only person or people that would say something were usually my grandma, like my daddy or my nanny would always be like, oh, like, why aren't you eating this? Or why aren't you eating that? Or you've lost so much weight. But the, it's funny because they would also make comments about me being in a larger body. But you know when I've lost weight or when I won't eat, you know, it's, it's just, it's so funny. South Asian culture is like that, where it's like, if you're in a larger body, you'll get made fun of for that. But if you're not eating or losing weight, you'll also get made fun of for that too. But since I grew up in a predominantly white community, I was constantly getting a lot of compliments from that aspect.
0: Yeah. but And that also makes sense that we're sort of our default for, for a million reasons, right? Is that we, Say to somebody, oh, I see this is changing. I don't know why we think that's our business, but apparently we do. Right. The culture. And so we just feel free to comment on it. And it also strikes me that like that line that you must have been trying to navigate of, you know, not being commented on for a larger body, but also not being, you know, in the place of being told to eat more. What a what a difficult sort of way that is to manage. What At what point was it recognized as an eating disorder and that you needed some help with that?
1: Yeah. So it actually took a really, really long time for it to be recognized as as an eating disorder. I'm sure being a person of color definitely played a role in that too. So I remember going from the doctor to a endocrinologist, to going to some spiritual healer, to going to all those things before actually ending up at a dietitian them telling me you have anorexia. So it definitely took a while and it just, be, and I also think it was not just me being a person of color, but also a weight stigma playing a role in that. Because when I was, when a person in a larger body goes to being in a smaller body, most society and most people, even doctors with, you know, degrees and everything would say, oh, great job, great job. So it's, it's definitely a, and a combination of, being a person of color and the weight stigma.
0: So tell us a little bit about that nutritionist. And as we talk a little bit more about your interests, I'm hoping we're going to hear sort of how those might intersect and maybe uh, your experience helped you to know what you wanted to do. But tell us a little bit about what that nutritionist was able to help you with or not help you with. Was it uh, helpful, not helpful? How did that go?
1: Yeah, so it's actually really cool because she was a South Asian dietitian. And so being in this field with, you know, so little diversity and having my first experience with the dietitian being someone from my own background was really cool. So she was able to recognize that I did have an eating disorder, that I did have anorexia. So that was uh, the the first step in a recovery journey is just getting the diagnosis and understanding what was actually going on. So... She was able to get me weight restored where I was eating quote unquote enough, but I don't think my relationship with food was healed in any way. So after I left outpatient, after I left that, I still did not have a good relationship with food. I still was counting calories. I was still you know, looking at food labels, still seeing food as good and bad. So it kind of let me go from anorexia to orthorexia.
0: Yeah, that also I think is far too common unfortunately where you know sometimes people get told that they're like oh your your weight is what we deem normal and you're fine now go fly, be free and there's still so much missing at that point so what was missing for you from your recovery at that point you know weight restoration fine and there's so much more what was missing for you
1: yeah, definitely the aspect of learning that food is more than just, you know, something that you should put in your body. Like food is joy. Food is something that is, you know, represents culture. Food is so much more. And I just didn't really see that at that point. Like I would still refuse to eat any Indian food that my grandma or my dad or my mom had made for me just because I hadn't made it. So I got into this aspect of, oh, I will make all my food and I will, you know, do this. and I will do that. So it just became a thing in my head of I need to control what food was going into my body, but I know in my head that it's enough to, you know, keep me, keep my body sustained, but it wasn't, you know, doing anything for my actual mental health.
0: And I would have to imagine that needing to make it all yourself or get it all yourself might have limited where you could eat, who you could eat with, you know, sort of your social interactions. So it sounds like that part too really
1: got away. Definitely. It definitely did something with my social interactions with my friends, my family, with my parents, my sister, just, it, yeah, created a lot of chaos in, in terms of that.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's a, it's a, it's a great word to highlight that I think eating disorders do often introduce so much chaos in people's <laughs> lives. And sometimes that's an unanticipated or uncommon experience for sometimes for people. And then that chaos just feels out of control, like chaos sometimes can. And that's maybe that's part of the idea that the eating sort of tells us like, oh, let's just get a little handle on this chaos and I just eat these certain things. It'll all be fine, exactly. except it's not all fine. So where uh, where did you, we know you had a shift, had learnings and sort of a shift in your eating. How did that come in? Tell us about that part of the journey of discovering like, hey, maybe there's more to this eating thing than just me having to make it all. and hold it so tightly. What what opened that up for you?
1: Yeah, so I definitely feel like I struggled with orthorexia my freshman, sophomore, and junior year of high school, but then it kind of shifted my senior year where I just let loose in a way and just started eating anything and everything, just whatever I wanted, and it did lead me to gain quite a bit of weight, so I I wouldn't say I had a good relationship with my body at that point because then I started to have a lot of body image issues going into my first year of college because I'd realized that I gained a bunch of weight and a lot of that was my own internalized fat phobia, which I never had a chance to unpack because I was weight restored and then I was out. I was done. I never was able to see a therapist either to work on any internalized fat phobia or anything like that. So when I realized I had gained some weight, I then, I started going back into some really disordered territory of, you know, restricting food, restricting food that I saw as quote unquote bad in my freshman year of college. So then I had a big journey going through that until I was able to find intuitive eating and all of that around my junior year of college.
0: That's awesome. And where did you, where did you come across intuitive eating? Uh, was it in, in your college coursework or somewhere else?
1: Actually, just through Instagram. I honestly don't remember much in my college coursework about intuitive eating at all. So I was able to find it through Instagram. And then I was looking at books and looking at podcasts and looking at a bunch of other things. And that's how I found intuitive eating. And then through that, I was able to find, you know, fat positivity and all the other great things that come from it.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's sort of a fascinating point, right? That you have this nutrition focus in your studies, right? Your nutrition, big part of your education process, but you didn't get that information. I think that's one of the things that a lot of, a lot of folks, a lot of us are trying to change in in nutrition curriculums and, and psychology curriculums too, but really in nutrition, we're, you know, we're trying to help people to eat well and have good nutrition. And we've just haven't quite gotten it into enough curriculum to to actually make sure that people also understand the relationship with food part. That's just so critical. So it sounds like this is kind of where we start to, you know, chart the course a bit of not just your personal healing, but like your education and your professional plans. So, So let's shift to that. We know that you Uh, your recent dietetics nutrition grad and a psychology so nutrition and psychology together awesome combination and you're (laughs) going to start a graduate program pretty soon let's uh let's hear more about that we're curious to hear about uh, your education in the in the field so far and and maybe how you're hoping it to shift because i think we have some of this like maybe not so helpful education that we're going to hopefully see some shift in but how how would you describe how your nutrition and dietetics coursework kind of approached the subject of of weight, of diets, of health, what of that was helpful, what was not so much helpful. You know, we already (laughs) foreshadowed we love it to have a little bit more intuitive eating content, but tell us a little bit about your experience in your nutrition curriculum and learning.
1: Yeah, so my nutrition curriculum I would say is still really weight centric and you know really focused around weight there were some times where one professor would be like oh I saw the study about how BMI might not be so helpful and I'm like oh it goes way beyond that like there's racist roots there's a lot of there's a lot that goes beyond oh it's just not so helpful so I would say that our Curriculum was definitely weight-centric. I ended up fighting back a lot of times with my professors. I know one of my one of my MNT professors tried to argue with me that intuitive eating was a diet. And I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) So, you know, I had a lot of back and forth in my curriculum. And there were some professors that were willing to listen, some professors that weren't willing to listen. And it really just depended on what class I was in. There was a global foods and culture class that I really enjoyed, and it was really looking at food through a culturally competent viewpoint. So I really liked that class. And there, it was still being taught by a white professor. We didn't, we but we did have our director was a black woman, so that was really good for me. I was able to talk to her about the diversity in dietetics, the cultural competency, and all that. So that was a really good thing for our curriculum, but. Overall, it was still very weight centric. And I would have loved to see more about health at every size, fat positivity, social justice, and all of those other topics.
0: Yeah, I think you're highlighting that in our health focused education majors and areas of study, we're significantly far behind on incorporating those those perspectives and how do we actually help people to manage their relationship with food. My, my uh, not so funny joke often is, you know, it turns out that if I, you know, I'm a, I'm a dietitian, I have a PhD in nutrition. Turns out if I tell you what to eat, that actually isn't terribly helpful. I actually have to like talk to you about what influences you're eating in order to have any change. So if I imagine I just give you information and you magically go off and do something different than you're doing today, that doesn't work. Funny, enough. so <laughs> seems like you're already you've already learned that, which is great. so you're ahead of the game. How about what would you say about eating disorders either in your in your nutrition or dietetics curriculum or your psychology curriculum, any education you were given around eating disorders?
1: Our eating disorder education was pretty minimal, I would say, I mean, in our life cycle class, one thing that really stuck out to me that still causes me pain to this day was a photo of the eating disorder spectrum. And on one end of it was binge eating, you know, with a person in a larger body. And the other end was anorexia nervosa with the person in a smaller body. And I was like, oh, this is everything that's, you know, wrong with eating disorder education. So I would say it's, it was pretty minimal and it wasn't very, it wasn't great, the education we had on eating disorders. So we definitely need, Work on that, and I know that there used to be an eating disorder class at MSU, and I'm not really sure what happened to it. They stopped offering it, so one day maybe I could teach an eating disorder class at MSU. That would be great, but <laughs> but yeah, we definitely needed more education on it.
0: Absolutely. As you were describing that photo, I was thinking, oh, I know that, I know that graphic image, that
1: yeah
0: <laughs> illustration. I I know that image, uh, and I hope you do get to teach one day. That I think you're I think you're right. There are not enough universities. Uh, that have offerings specifically around around eating disorders. Uh, so when you when you get ready to teach, just let me know because I teach a class in eating disorders at the University of Minnesota, and I will help you to set up your class. So it'll be. That'll be, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> That'll be great. We uh, We know, so you talked a little bit about, you know, uh, recognizing that there's this lack of information. You, you reached out to professors, you asked a lot of questions, you challenged the sort of information you were be, being given, that's fantastic. How did you feel internally about that process? Like, how was that emotional experience for you to, to be using your voice that way, you know, on behalf of not just your own experience, but a much broader experience? And what was helpful in in sort of managing that experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were some days when it was hard. I mean, especially there was one day when I was arguing with my m professor about, that intuitive eating is a diet thing and you know she was just like oh you know if i did intuitive eating i would just eat donuts every day and that's not healthy and i was like oh my god (laughs) and it's just it was it felt like me versus my professor in this zoom class and it's hard when you know you don't have many students You know with the ability to back you up at that point and especially when you're one of the few people of color in your class too so you're fighting all these different battles at the same time so there were definitely days when it was emotionally draining but then that's why it's a really great thing to have a therapist or therapy well that does you know it does take privilege to be able to seek out therapy but i was lucky enough to have a therapist to be able to talk those things through with there were days it was easier than others and days when it was harder than others
0: Absolutely. That, that that makes sense. Uh,
1: so we know, are we, we
0: understand that you started something else for a club on campus. Tell us about the club you were president of.
1: Yeah, I, that was one of my greatest memories from MSU is starting that club, or not starting it, but, you know, starting the change in the club. So it started off as just, you know, the typical body positive club on campus, you know, the one that's like oh, we should all love our bodies and be happy. (laughs) So it started off like that. And when I came into the presidency of the club, I really wanted to shift the focus and shift it more towards body acceptance and eating disorder awareness and really bringing light to topics like weight stigma to, you know, how to every size and having those types of topics being talked about and moving away from the body positive type of topic where i mean we still did talk about body positivity but some of those other topics you really have to get into so i was able to bring in really great speakers and you know fat positive people dietitians who will speak about intuitive eating health every size weight stigma and all those topics and it was just a really great experience and even on nita week i was able to do this reflections of recovery Event where students of color came and spoke about their experience with eating disorders. And we had almost a hundred people come to that. So that was really great. And especially with the whole, you know, going virtual and Zoom thing, it being able to do that was just a great experience.
0: That's fantastic. What, a, what an awesome opportunity. I'm a little heartened. I feel like things are starting to shift just a little bit. And I know there's so much further we have to go, but I, you know, just earlier today, I was came across my news feed that there was a, an article about weight stigma, which there are articles about weight stigma, that's not the landmark part of it, but it was an article about weight stigma from a large survey of people who were participating in weight management, quote unquote, programs. And it was published in the Journal of Obesity or something like, like that, I think it was the Journal of Obesity. And I thought, well, that's a step that we're kind of putting all this together and maybe there's there's hope. So I'm I'm hopeful that more more people are using their voices, are are raising these issues, are really broadening our horizons and our, our perspectives and our, our our dialogue at a much larger level because we know that there's a lot of passion and and dialogue in in pockets. It's really how do you get that? more right. broadly and so you are heading off to graduate school soon in dietetics and nutrition this fall and will do your dietetic internship and so thinking of, of dietetics in the eating disorders field what are your hopes for the field and what are your hopes for your career in that field
1: yeah so i'm really just hoping to see a lot more diversity equity and inclusion in the field i i mean i'm seeing a lot of people talk about why diversity is important but a lot of people tend to forget about the equity and inclusion part of it and you know making sure that we're amplifying black indigenous people of color's voices and that we are putting these people of color in higher up positions to be able to create actual change so it would be really great to see more diversity equity and inclusion in the field and to also see more marginalized communities in general in the field, seeing LGBTQIA people in the field, and seeing people in larger bodies in the field too. So that's really important to me to be able to see all these changes within the field and bringing more awareness to, to eating disorders in general too. And you know, getting away from it as a as a disease of vanity and seeing it more as a psychological thing, and you know, really focusing around that. Yeah,
0: I think the I've been in the field for. A really long time. Um, but I think that's one of the positives that I think we're, we're we're making progress and moving away from this idea that eating disorders are, a, a, you know, this disease of vanity or just a willpower issue or just wanting right. to some body type. So I feel heartened by the progress we're making and I also feel optimistic about sort of we're picking up some steam and really getting getting somewhere hopefully with all of these initiatives. And so when you think about your career, and of course, you you know, we won't hold you to this, we won't call you in five years and say, hey, you said five years ago you were going to do this. But just imagine for a few minutes, what would be your kind of dream job in your, you know, after your studies, where would you like to find yourself?
1: Yeah. So after my master's, I would really love to do a PhD in something psychology related. So I really have that psychological component. And I would just love to be a nutrition therapist, working with people with eating disorders in a culturally competent, weight inclusive manner. So that's really my dream job. And I would also really, really love to teach at some point too.
0: That sounds fantastic. We're we're excited. We'll be excited to call you in five years and <laughs> to have you tell us <laughs> how awesome that is. Uh, yeah. and, Let's let's sort of wrap up by revisiting that younger version of you that we started with. So when you think about that version of you struggling to integrate these comments about teasing about your your body size and shape and then being told to eat more and trying to figure all of that out and then getting this social reinforcement and all of the pieces that you described as part of your experience and trying to figure out how to navigate through it. If you could go, you know, go whisper something in, in her ear, that younger you, based on what you know now, what would that be? What would you tell her?
1: Yeah, I would probably tell her that it's not her fault, that, you know, diet culture is rampant, and there's constantly people around you that will tell you you're not worthy because of you know the size of your body, the color of your skin, but you know you're strong and you're worthy, and I wouldn't let anyone else tell me otherwise. So that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely what I would tell my my younger self.
0: Fantastic. And what would you tell somebody who's listening right now that's thinking, yeah, that's great. It's great that you're in a good place and that you went what you went through and you got to this place, but that's never gonna happen for me. So that's like all fine and well for you, go great, but it's not gonna happen for me. What would you say to that person?
1: I would tell them that there are people out there that, you know, want to help you and what, you know, you might think right now that it's never going to happen for you, but there are always people cheering for you, always people on your side and getting help and getting, going through recovery, it's, it's going to be worth in the end, no matter how hard it is now, it's definitely going to be worth it. Awesome.
0: Thank you. So where can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah. So right now I have my Instagram. It's at nutrition underscore by underscore SA. So that's really where I do the most of my posting and you know, you could always DM me on there or you could just send me a quick email.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your thoughts and your vision of the future. We, we like it. We want to be part of it. We want to support (laughs) you in that. So we're really excited to have you been able to spend some time with us today. If you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Peacemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.